If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. A couple weeks ago, we started this series in the book of James. And last week, uh, Ken DeYoung did a fantastic job of sharing, uh, specifically in regards to when we uh, apply God's Word. We not only hear it, but we apply it. And that pure and undefiled religion is taking care of the orphans and the widows. And uh, I am just wanting to tell you, Ken reached out to me this week. He literally flew to Haiti the very next day. um, And he sent me a little video of uh, some of these kids just singing and praising God, and and he just said he was so blown away by our church's generosity toward that orphanage, and so thank you, and thank the Lord for that, and um, today's message, I'm going to talk a little bit again about that generous uh, ministry that that each of us have, and uh, specifically when people walk into our church, and uh, in regards to favoring uh, rich people over the poor, and James is going to address this Today And I want to start uh, just by talking a little bit about a TV show that maybe you've heard of before. Uh, but how many of you have heard of the show Undercover Boss? Have you heard of that before? I enjoy watching this because you get the CEO of the company and he dresses up like you know an average everyday person and he goes in and he begins to work some of these entry-level jobs and um, begins to build relationship, see how things are done. I mean, if the guy walked in suit and tie and they know this is the head honcho, they're going to act differently, right? And so he comes in in street clothes or work clothes that they have and begins to work with them. And it's interesting, you know, you never know how it's going to go down. People get fired over this because he starts to see things that maybe are going down or, or he might hear stories and he's absolutely moved. And uh, at the end of the show, you see him uh, maybe paying for kids' college or health uh, care or whatever that might be. It's a very touching show and very interesting. And I've heard of pastors even doing this in their congregations where they'll maybe dress up like a homeless person and they begin to walk into the church and they begin to interact with people uh, and then later the pastor reveals that it's actually him and begins to share with the congregation how he was treated and um, you know how the congregation did on ministering to him. Now, I've never done that. I've not uh, dressed up and tried to pull one over on you guys or anything like that, but I want us to imagine for a moment here this morning that if uh, when you were gathering for worship today, all of a sudden Simone Biles, the Olympian uh, gold medalist, walked in to worship with us today, and then there would also be a man that walks in that uh, clearly looks to be homeless. You've got to wonder how many people are going to be looking at this famous athlete And when the service is over, how many people would be more inclined to go approach Simone Biles rather than the homeless man? And James is going to address this, you know, because the church was showing favoritism toward people that were wealthier and who weren't even believers and, in fact, even persecuted the believers. But then when they would walk into the assembly because of the wealth that they had, they would begin to show favoritism rather than uh, being a blessing to the poor that might be right within their own assembly. So think about this. How would you react with those newcomers in our midst? 
You know, would there be times through the service periodically where you'd look over at the athlete wondering, you know, what do they think of this? Or what do they think of that? Or, I mean, you can imagine what this would be like. Um, if you know the pastor and author and speaker Francis Chan, he actually did an experiment in his congregation where he talked about this elevating of one person versus the other, and he actually had a hidden camera in the foyer, and it was him and a fellow like student from the youth ministry, and they stood next to each other during the fellowship time, and they had a clicker that was basically every, every person that would come up and say good morning to him, but wouldn't say a word to the kid standing next to them. And he had like 10 to that one kid's like one, and that was the usher that came up just to greet the kid. And it was just interesting. He was saying, even in our own congregation, you're elevating the pastor above the rest of the flock. And that can happen. There was even one point where a family came up to the kid and he thought, oh, look, they're connecting with them. But the only reason why they were connecting with them was to give them a camera so they could have a picture with Francis Chan. And favoritism in that way can take place within the church. And it can be detrimental as God wants us connecting no matter what your status is, what your background is, how much money you have, how much money you don't have. God wants His family connecting when we get together. And James is going to address this. So before we read from God's Word, I'm just going to ask that we would pray together, inviting His Spirit to speak into our hearts and lives today. Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for this time we're spending here in Your Word. Your Word speaks into our hearts and lives. It is truth. And I pray that that truth would penetrate our hearts. And Lord, that we would lean in to what it is that Your Spirit wants to say. Speak to all of us in our own unique way. The things we are walking through this past week, we come before You and just ask, we just set that stuff aside and just want to hear from you in your word today. Father, I pray that you'd bless my desire to bring your word. I pray it would come with great clarity and anointing and power. And Lord, we pray for the children's ministry that's meeting right now. Bless those teachers and the staff that are pouring into the kids right now. We ask for great favor upon those ministries. We lift all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, let's do a little bit of reading here from the Word of God. James says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom that He promised to those who love Him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law. 
as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when He judges you. And that's where we're going to stop here for our reading. I'm going to begin to break some of these things down. But this passage addresses favoring rich people over poor people. And to do so is wrong for several reasons. The first one is it displeases God because God looks at the heart. That is what God looks at over appearances. He looks at the heart, and to not look at the heart would displease God. And so when we view each other, we need to try to put on His glasses for a moment, if you think about that. The title of this message is, Give Me Your Eyes. And so we want to see people the way God sees people. The next part is, when you favor rich people over poor people is it's not motivated by genuine love. We're admiring or responding to people based on their social status. And that's a sin against the royal law of loving your neighbor as yourself. Another thing is it makes us humans who are sinful and imperfect. It makes us judges with evil thoughts. James addressed that in verse 4. And the last thing here, as far as it being wrong, is instead of accepting people on the basis of faith in Christ and God's love for them, we unjustly favor the rich or influential people. And oftentimes that behavior stems from an evil motive that all of us have where we think, what might we gain from them personally? There's a tension here that James is trying to address, and to understand that tension, we must understand the culture in which they lived in. A culture that would indeed favor rich people over poor. In the days that Jesus walked the earth roughly 2,000 years ago, the attitude of generosity and giving was that you gave only to someone who could return that favor at equal or greater value. And so therefore, if I'm going to be generous with somebody, I'm probably not going to pick somebody who has less than what I do. This is the culture. There's a word for this. In the Roman world, it's called liberalitas. And I've written about this in previous newsletters, which basically means we're being generous to please a recipient in hopes that that recipient would return the favor. And Roman emperors would actually print this word on their coins, and they'd go out into the street in parades, and they'd throw handfuls of these coins out into the crowd. Now, what do you think the emperor is saying to the people when he's doing that? It would give him leverage over the people, and he would expect them to return the favor. Liberalitas. Giving in this culture was like the phrase, I'll scratch your back if you... Scratch mine. You've heard that before. 
The problem with this mentality, though, is there becomes no desire to give to someone who couldn't return that favor of the same or greater value back. So generosity then was about doing for others so that then they can do for you. And Jesus, when He showed up though, He completely changes that paradigm. And His words are in Luke chapter 6. If you want to go there, you can look at this with me. But in Luke 6, verses 32 through 36, these are words of Jesus. He says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect a repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Then Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Jesus is saying that you and I should give with no strings attached. Imagine what it was like hearing His words in the culture that they lived in. But the reality of that is if you fast forward then 2,000 years to today, do you think we live in a similar culture? of I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Is that the world we live in? I mean, to some degree, I think it's very similar. And so, Jesus taught that we should give in a way that doesn't expect anything in return. And in John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, it says, God so loved the world that He gave His Son. He gives... And He gave with no strings attached. God knew that there might be some people who would still reject Him even after He gave His Son Jesus. Think of that. And so if we're to be like Christ, that means we should give without expecting some kind of return, right? I mean, if God was willing to sacrifice His own Son for people that would still reject Him, He gives us an example. I'm going to come back to liberalitas later on in this message, but I want to address a couple of things that were said in this passage regarding God's law. James specifically mentions loving your neighbor as yourself, and he calls it the royal law. And you've even heard this as the golden rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he highlights this and explains that when you show favoritism to the people within your body and you start neglecting people in your family, like favoring the rich over the poor and you're connecting to them, one of the things he draws out is if you're guilty of this one thing, you're guilty of breaking the entire law of God. Now if I had a balloon here this morning and I blew it up, tied it up, and I said this balloon represents God's law, it's His desire, it's His Word, and He wants us to follow this, and I took a pen... And I said, it's just one thing that goes against what God would desire. You know, list it. Name it. I mean, James specifically says if you murdered somebody or if you committed adultery, but he's also saying if you commit this sin of favoring the rich over the poor, just imagine taking that one pin and just pricking that balloon and the whole thing would pop. 
And I think you get an image and a picture now of why Christ came. Because if you start to reflect in your own life and you think, have I ever broken God's law before? Can you do some self-reflection on that? Have you ever murdered anybody? And that might be a very personal question for somebody that maybe has gone through something like that. But Jesus says if you hate somebody, you've actually murdered them in your heart. And so you think through that, wow, man, have I ever murdered? And have you ever committed adultery? And Jesus elevates that even further, says if you even lust after a person, you're committing adultery. Have you ever put any other gods in front of the God? Have you ever had any idols in your life? You can start to see where, oh man, I think I'm guilty and I don't know how I can get out of this. But God doesn't just leave us in our guilt. He sends this offering. And that offering is His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. Who lived a perfect life. And He was that perfect sacrifice that pays for all sin. And you can be covered by His blood when you receive Him into your life. And so therefore, there's going to be times where you're going to break God's law. And you might favor rich over poor. Or you might lust after somebody. Or you might go through a tension moment where you have this animosity with somebody almost to the point where you're committing murder in your heart. You walk through those things, but by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, if He's in your life, His blood covers you from all sin. And Jesus brings this new covenant, and theologians might go back and forth here in James that when James refers to this royal law, and then a few verses later he then talks about being set free from the law or being in this law that brings freedom, are we talking about the same thing here? And to a certain degree we are, because when Jesus came, He came to fulfill the law. And so when Christ comes and you receive Christ into your life, you bring the fulfillment of the law through Jesus Christ, but with Him comes freedom. His blood covers you from all sin. If you've ever made a mistake, if you've ever done something in rebellion, if you come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, He'll forgive you. And you're covered by His blood. If you go to this next slide here talking about the law of liberty, Jesus was speaking to His disciples when He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. Similar to, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, but I feel like He goes a little bit further. He goes, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Okay, so now I need to love people the way Christ loved me. Not just love them like I love myself, I need to love them in the way that Christ loved me. That goes a little bit further. Loving that way takes a whole lot of humility, doesn't it? We have to choke down our own self-interest to be able to love in that manner. It's sacrificial. To love in that way that He loves, we have to set aside worldly gain. I mean, think about the life of Jesus. He leaves His position in heaven to come to this earth. He's born into a family that has a broken genealogy. We walked through that this past Christmas. 
We walk through those individuals that were a part of his story. You think of his humble birth that was in an atmosphere of livestock, and his bed was a feeding trough. And growing up in a village that was mocked, this town of Nazareth, and there he lived for 30 years. And he also did ministry in regions like Galilee and Samaria. It was a humbling task, as these are areas that were held in contempt by leaders of Israel. You think of his royal entrance into Jerusalem on a humble donkey when most kings would enter on a prestigious and powerful horse. And I think of him humbly washing the feet of his disciples, demonstrating that his heart is to serve and not be served. And then you think of him emptying himself, being beaten and tortured, and even killed in the crucifixion on a cross. And he gave it all for all. Not for just the rich or the prestigious. Jesus gave it all for everybody. The playing field has been leveled. If you're following us in the Bible reading each week, tomorrow is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And in verse 9 of that chapter, it says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, think about where He came from in heaven. Though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that by His poverty He could make you rich. James addresses that these poor people, he actually wants them to be rich in faith. When I read that, I thought maybe my message should be God wants you to be rich. That probably turned some heads and made people go, I wonder what Russ is going to talk about on Sunday, right? That would make us a little uncomfortable. But God wants you to be rich in faith. Rich in faith. And He came, He emptied of Himself, He became poor, so that all of us who are poor in spirit, sinners, could be made rich through the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's coming a day where we'll get to join Him in heaven where He left to make all of this possible. You see how Christ reaches down to those who are poor. And I want to pick up on that liberalitas example, that coin and the empire that the emperor would come out and throw that into the crowd. I believe the early church took Jesus' words seriously about generosity. You know, not just giving to those who can give back to you, but giving to people who are less fortunate and not respecting or expecting anything in return. Their generosity was even noticed by the Roman Empire Emperor Julian. And this is documented in history. Prior to Emperor Julian's reign, Emperor Constantine had legalized Christianity along with all other religions. However, when Julian took over, he wanted to see paganism rise again in the Roman Empire, and his efforts failed miserably. And Julian wrote a frustrated letter to the Roman priests complaining about Christians. And this is what he says in the letter. The impious Galileans, or these Christians, 
support not only their poor, but our poor as well. Julian couldn't gain the support of his people for paganism because Christians were taking better care of the poor than he was. Think of that. The church was doing a better job than the government when it came to welfare. Yay is right. What a powerful statement made by the early church that was spoken through their generosity. And so as a church, we can find ways that we can be generous. Generous to the poor. Last week, you guys did a phenomenal job. But God's heart, heartbeat for the poor didn't end last Sunday when we all gave and walked out of here. He has a heart for the poor. And so to join Him in His work, we carry on that heartbeat and we minister to those that are often overlooked. So go back to Simone Biles and that homeless man. They're here in our congregation. Church is over. After a message like this, who do we go up to? You go up to whoever the Lord leads you to, okay? But let's not overlook those who might be less fortunate. And thinking of this example, Ken DeYoung mentioned this last week. In Matthew 25, Jesus addresses the least of these that are around us. Talking about people who are hungry, people who uh, need clothing, you know, people who need to be visited and cared for and all of those things. And in Matthew 25, they're separating the sheep from the goats in that chapter. And Jesus says, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've actually done for me. And so you think of that homeless man or that person that might be less fortunate than others as far as their economic circumstance. But as you begin to lend a hand and do ministry, I want you to think about this. There's a resemblance to Jesus himself when you minister to people like that. As I pulled up the photo for Simone Biles and then homeless man, and then I got to seeing that homeless man, and I'm like, you know, I've seen pictures of Jesus, and there's some resemblance there. I don't know if you can see that too. I've got a little bit of a side-by-side -side there. But you think about it. As you minister to those who are the least of these, Jesus says, you're ministering to me. This is God's heartbeat. Whatever you've done for the least, you've done for me. Are we able to see Jesus in those less fortunate? Are we even able to see those who are less fortunate? I think we need to ask for God to give us His eyes to be able to see that. A number of years ago, it's probably been about over 10 years now, I went to school at Buena Vista University and they would have these trips that you could take during spring break to go help people. Um, I did a Habitat for Humanity house down in New Mexico. And then there was another one where I went on a, uh, like a homeless and hungry uh, missions trip out to Seattle. And we worked at a place called the Cherry Street Food Bank. And we would go in there and we would get in a line and we all had the different food items that we would be handing to those less fortunate that were coming through this food bank. And in Seattle, this was going to be a lot of people. This wasn't just like four or five that might show up that day. It was a lineup of people that just simply went through the line. And I was in charge of these little, I think they were like Cornish hens that were frozen. Okay? And my job was for everyone that came through, I would hand them a Cornish hen, 
and uh, they'd be good to go. Well, in this process, they kind of coached me, you know, something that might be helpful is actually have the bucket closer to you and you just hand those to them, otherwise they'll try to take more than one. And sometimes there could be that thought that I think kind of goes through our minds. People want to take advantage of the system and all that kind of stuff. But some of these people have genuine needs. And they're going through the line. And, and I was doing what I was told. I, I kind of learned, okay, this is probably the best way where it doesn't get awkward, where I'd be like, no, you can only have one, and then I'm a bad guy. Is I'll just have it by me, and I'll hand it out. And as I'm handing this out, I just uh, there was a moment where this... Pacific Asian elderly woman was coming through and it was like I got a a glimpse of my grandmother who had passed away like a year or two prior to that. And I'm like, how in the world? Like, it was just like it was her that I was serving. And that kind of moved me for a little bit and I got to thinking and it actually you begin to think of Jesus' words because it's not like whatever you do for the least of them, you've done for your grandmother, right? But it made a connection with me that these are real people that God cares about, just like I care about my grandmother. These are real people. And I believe as we begin to help people, we need to understand these are real people whom God loves. And you can identify with Christ as you serve those who are less fortunate. Lord, give me your eyes to see those who are less fortunate. James closes talking about a a judgment that's coming one day. A judgment. All of us are going to face judgment. All of us. There is no escaping that judgment day. There is two kinds of judgments that are going to happen. The first one is called the judgment seat of Christ. And it's for all those who have a relationship with Jesus. You're going to stand before Him. And it's not going to determine whether or not you're going to be allowed into heaven. That's already been determined because Jesus is a part of your life. But Jesus will judge you on your deeds. The things you've said, the things you've done. And through that judgment, you'll then be given rewards. As you enter into His kingdom, there will be things that you are given as you begin in His kingdom, serving Him. Your roles, your responsibilities, all of that for eternity are determined with what you do with that stuff right now. The other judgment is called the great white throne judgment, and this is a judgment for those who don't have Christ in their life. And so for them, they'll be judged for the things they've done, but when that judgment's over, it's not that they get led into heaven, but then they'll end up spending eternity in hell. These are the two judgments that are coming. The Bible speaks very clearly of that. And as James references judgment in 2 Corinthians 13, he's referring specifically to the judgment seat of Christ. And how we minister right here and right now will determine what takes place on that judgment day and how God will reward you. And there's an emphasis on mercy. And as we view people through God's eyes, I just think, Lord, help us to be people of mercy. Help us to be people of compassion that reach out to those in need.
There's a song I think we can all identify with. Simply by show of hands, mine is already up. Are you a sinner in need of Jesus Christ? Show of hands. Wow. All of us. Okay. We're saved by grace. And there's that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. We see clearly our need for Jesus. And when He's in our life, I was blind, but I can also see is I was blind to the needs of the people around me, but now I can see them because of the grace that is in my life. Lord, give us your eyes. Would you pray with me as we close this message? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, you reveal to us your heartbeat for the poor, for the less fortunate. And as we're all listening and your spirit is speaking into our hearts and lives, I pray that you would give us your eyes to see the needs of people, not just to see them, but then to respond. Lord, as you've talked in this passage about judgment coming, help us to be ready for that judgment day. For those who are in Christ, help us to be serving in your kingdom. So when that day of rewards comes, Lord, you can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the little on earth, and now you're going to be put in charge of even more in heaven. Perhaps there's someone listening right now that you don't know which judgment that you're going to be at. And if Christ is not in your life right now, it'll be the great white throne judgment followed by eternal separation from God. And if there's something on your heart today that's saying, I need to make sure that I've got my life right with God, then I want to invite you to receive the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy that Jesus brings. Because of what He's done for you on the cross, you can be set free from your sin and you can be made right with God. If you desire His salvation, I want to invite you to just simply pray with me in your heart and receive Him today. Pray with me, Lord Jesus Today I receive you. I ask for your forgiveness of my sin that separates me from you. Come into my life. Make me new. And help me to live for you by the power of your Spirit and the guidance of your Word. Please save me today. Thank you for making me right with my Heavenly Father because of the sacrifice that you gave on the cross. I receive you by grace through faith. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Lord, I thank you for how your Spirit guides us and leads us and for all of us as we respond to today's message. I pray that your spirit would continue to reveal how we can apply these things into our lives. That church didn't just take place today, but we minister 
each and every day of the week. There's opportunities that are all around us. So, Lord, give us your eyes. Help us to see those needs. And we ask for this now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.